Hey everybody, it's Matthew Bunch from Magic City Soccer. We're going to get into the show in just a second, but we did want to make you aware of a promotion we have going on for the next week. Uh, from June 12th until June 19th, if you reply to us on Twitter, comment on the podcast post on Facebook, or comment on the podcast post on Instagram with the word GOAL. GOAL! Only one O is necessary to win, but if you want to include more, you're more than welcome to. If you use the word GOAL, you will be entered to win two tickets to the Miami (laughs) FC's next home match against Naples United. Uh, That match is scheduled to take place on Saturday, June 22nd. So please make sure your calendar is clear if you're interested in the tickets. But remember, all you need to do on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram is comment with the word GOAL. GOAL! And you could win. So uh, without further ado, let's get started and enjoy episode 71 of Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, and welcome to our show. We are pleased to be joining you uh, this afternoon. We are recording a a lovely afternoon broadcast, uh, partially the benefit of being teachers. You get a little summertime flexibility. Joined here by Omar Mubayad. Omar, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Matt. How are you? What's a podcast? Yeah, I know, right? It's, it's, it's been a while, um, but we're, we're good to be, we're happy to be back. A uh, lot to talk about. Uh, our, our first area of focus uh, today is going to be FC Surge. Uh, FC Surge, uh, you know, a big focus for us uh, this season, uh, the highest level of women's professional soccer in South Florida. Uh, off to a really strong start. If, you are, if you've been following us on social media, um, you've seen we've covered a few of their broadcast league fans out there for both home games uh, last week. I was out there uh, Wednesday of last week to see an excellent game between FC Surge and Team Boca Blast, a nil-nil draw that did not deserve to be a nil-nil draw. should have been uh, you know, more like a 2-2 or a 3-3, but the goalies were standing on their heads. Um, FC Surge now getting through their season. The, 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 their league is uh, a summer season. Uh, that accommodates the amateur player, that accommodates the college-level player looking to keep up fitness um, through the offseason. Uh, Omar, what have you seen from FC Surge? I think it's just a level of tenacity that you don't really see. You don't really equate almost with Division Two women's soccer, in a sense, in this country. Because the WPC, WP, WPCL? WPCL, yeah. WPSL. Ooh, WPSL. I, God, man, that's what's wrong with me. It's see, not WKRP. Ha- this is what happens <laughs> when you don't podcast for months. But, yeah, I, I think um, you were so used to when we're talking about the women's game, either the national team, or we're talking about, um, you know, the WPSL. Is that right? WPS NWSL. Yeah. Sorry, now, NW. Oh boy, we need to start wait, over. All right. Hold on. Which one are you You're talking about? The top league. Top league. The NWSL. NWSL. Yes. Oof. Man, that's rough. Sorry, stretch it out. Matt, this is rough. Stretch it out. <clears throat> I think you you're so used to talking about those teams. The, the you know the Portland Thorns, the North Carolina Courage, the Houston Dash. 
that you almost forget that there is an entire second division platform, even if it is comprised of mostly amateur athletes. And the level of soccer that's being played within that division is quite high. And, you know, guess what? Miami seems to be home to yet again just another really good soccer team that is running through their conference and their division. Yeah, it was uh, the, they they got started off to a really a tremendous start to the season. Two away victories, uh, as we said that the 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 draw against Boca Blast um, uh, was hard fought. Uh, had a chance to speak to General Manager March Perry before the game, and she said, "Yeah, this is going to be I think the hardest competition we face because uh, they were a stacked team." Um, you know, this is a squad that played the Reggae Girls, the 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 World Cup qualifying Jamaican uh, women's national team. And lost, but in a respectable 2-1 against a World Cup quality side in their final tune-up before traveling to France. Um, that, that to me, that got my attention even before the kickoff of the season. And really, to the people who put that game together, it's amazing that they would incorporate Miami's sole entry into the WPSL. And kind of incorporate Jamaica, who has a lot of ties with the South Florida community. If I'm not mistaken, I believe almost a, a good chunk, if not almost the entire Jamaican women's roster, has some ties to the U.S. collegiate system or to the U.S. top flight. So it goes to show you, though, how impactful this game, the women's game here is in the United States and how it's branched out across the world. And for a WPSL side to take on a World Cup side, and listen, this might say more about Jamaica than it does about FC Surge, right? For a Division II mostly amateur team to uh, you know, compete with a World Cup entrant, that, that says a lot about the quality of them. And I, I will say, too, one of my favorite things, uh, you know, as the Women's World Cup has kicked off uh, nearly a week into it now, um, almost a week into it, um, that England-Scotland match uh, a few days, days ago where Scotland got their first Women's World Cup goal uh, in their program's history, in their country's history, and it was scored by Claire Imsley, uh, who is an FC Surge alum. And so when you look at, at the programs here in South Florida, whether it's the collegiate programs, the Jamaican national team has uh, multiple members who played at FIU for their women's team. Uh, you know, at University of Miami, the, the Colombian goalie from the 2015 uh, national squad uh, got run against the U.S. national team. She played at the University of Miami. Um, and you look at now the club level as well, Claire Imsley, um, you know, Jill Ellis is a, is a resident of Pinecrest. Yep. There are so many South Florida connections uh, to women's soccer in particular. I mean, soccer in general, it's just an, it's a natural environment for the sport. It's why we are where we are. Um, and we're doing what we're doing because there's so many different ways to enjoy the sport here in this, uh, this little part of the world. But it's just really cool to see, again, FC Search doesn't get the headlines, doesn't get the focus of a lot of the larger media outlets in town. But they are generating World Cup goal scoring players, you know? Like, that's a big freaking deal. It is a huge deal. And truth be told, this is kind of one of one of those positive externalities that comes from now having, or close to having, fingers crossed as I say this, an MLS side here in South Florida. Because now the hope is, is if you're a real soccer fan and you want to see the growth of this game across not only the community, but across all aspects of society, you need to bring in an NWSL team here. And the reason why you got to bring them in is because you got a natural rival to your north in Orlando Pride where Claire Emsey is going to be. But imagine if you had the FIU, she went to Florida Atlantic University, if you had the Florida Atlantic Music product now playing for or headlining 
Miami's entrance into the NWSL. And that's kind of what you want to see. Absolutely. I think everybody's excited about MLS, and we'll get to that in just a little bit down the road. But having the opportunity to have an NWSL, am I saying it right? I feel like I'm messing yes. up these acronyms. Now, now you're in your own head. There now you go. you're in your own head. You got so it right. You're right on track. Having that entrant here would be huge because you start seeing the develop. You just start seeing the pipeline built between FC Surge, between the local universities that all have a women's program here. University of Miami, prominent ACC women's program. FIU, prominent program as well in Division One. FAU as well. I mean, the, the, the talent is everywhere. You just go to a park and you can find it. Yeah, it's, uh, and I think that's that's why the story of soccer in South Florida has often been marked with failure from at the professional level, and it's where clubs like FC Surge, where clubs like Miami FC, Miami United, Red Force, um, you know, the, these smaller clubs actually have tremendous success, where you you have the development of players. Uh, being such a high priority, you know, it's you look at the U.S. men's national team. Well, you know, you look at Dade or Broward or, or, or Palm Beach. A, a hell of a lot of players are coming from this region, this part of the country, and, and at the women's level, it's the same. And so, you like you, you mentioned, kind of Major League Soccer and and the NWSL, uh, kind of expanding that. I I think you said that word you used the pipeline the idea of okay we're gonna rechannel this talent now and let's get it to where it belongs let's get it let's keep it here you know it's it's to to look at other sports you know whether it's football or basketball if you keep your players home you got a hell of a program you can build the same can be said in soccer well you know whether it's the FIU men's team recently having a great run of success um, in, in Conference USA. Or the 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 uh, the UM women's soccer team, as you said, uh, pretty strong in the ACC, having additional scaffolding, additional support for that kind of youth development with the kind of money and investment that professional soccer brings would be quite beneficial. Yeah, I also I think this is probably one of the few facets in life where, without becoming a political podcast, uh, trickle down <laughs> would work here. The idea of trickling down, having the NWSL team in place here in South Florida would all of a sudden make the programs and make the talent in South Florida much better. So what ends up happening is you strengthen University of Miami, you strengthen FIU, you strengthen FAU, because now these all become natural feeders, not only to the league in general, but to that club directly, even if a kid isn't drafted. Sure. On top of the fact that clubs like FC Surge will tend to naturally sprout and only get better. And you might see more entrance to the WPSL from South Florida if you have the NWSL team here. The youth girls games are going to grow, whether it's in a local park, whether it's in a soccer-dedicated facility like Kendall Soccer Park or Amelia Earhart or whatever. It's only going to make the game bigger, and it's only going to provide more opportunities to them if they have that top-flight aspect here. So while we're not even talking, and nobody in South Florida is talking about the NWSL and its possible you know, expansion to Miami, Fort Lauderdale area, I think it's almost inevitable and it, it, it definitely should be inevitable. Yeah, I, I you know, we, we spoke to Jorge Mas uh, a couple of months ago and uh, he, I think regrettably, was not as bullish on the, the uh, NWSL um, as some other folks. The league has had some difficulties, um, you know, getting up and running, but there are these success stories in Orlando, in Portland. And, you know, if you're looking at Miami being the kind of soccer market you think it is, if you're Jorge Mas or anyone connected with Inter-Miami or, or really any other professional club, if you think Miami is the kind of market that can support uh, 
professional soccer the way you imagine it, well, then there's no reason that a women's team couldn't be supported in Miami-Dade or Broward or Palm Beach. Again, there's a there has been a history of failure there before, but if you're just going to let past failures be the uh, the guide to your future decision-making, you're just going to be reacting from a place of fear and not a place of opportunity. No, absolutely. And as we see, you're looking at, you know, a lot... You look at most of the rosters, I should say, in the Women's World Cup, and most of them, if not all of them, have a significant tie to, to the United States, to the North American game, because this has been the developer, the leading forefront runner of women's soccer in the world. It's why they're so much better than everybody else, why they continue to be so much better than everybody else, and really kind of the reason why the rest of the world is making this, is, is having this women's game evolve. Why they're putting in the resources? Because they're tired of one team running the show. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, to, to delve into the, the Women's World Cup a little bit, uh, and, and, you know, it, as we've, we've been alluding to, it's currently going on. You know, the idea of competition leading to better results for everyone, kind of a high tide lifting all boats. Um, you know, the discussion that's taken place about the U.S. women's national team in Thailand, the 13 nil result. You know, we talked about it earlier in the podcast before the podcast, which is basically just us talking. Um, <laughs> you know, there is a school of thought that, you know, uh, you've got to be sportsmanlike and all that. But there is the other school of thought. It's, the, it's a competitive match. You, you play a competitive match to the end. You see what the result is, and then as the winning side, you take the joy from it. And as the losing side, you recalibrate and see how you can improve. And so I, I, a little bit more competition in the world of sport is never a bad thing. It, it, it typically leads to better competition all around and sides that have struggled improving and stepping up. And, and I think that when you look at a club like FC Surge, who are very strong in their uh, little slice of uh, uh, their, their league down here in South Florida – it's forcing other sides to step up, and that to me, that's going to be very intriguing going forward. How will other teams react? I was trying to seamlessly transition to the Women's World Cup, and yet you pulled this, <laughs> this back into the FC Surge conversation. But, you know, going ahead and moving on now into the Women's World Cup that's currently happening, and you're looking at some of the matches, and, I mean, granted, there have been some, some one-sided scorelines. There have been some 3-0s. There have been some 4-0s. Uh, there never really has been a 13 nil, uh, and that's kind of where this conversation is going. Matt, when you look at when you reflect on yesterday's game and the performance from the U.S. Women's National Team, it seems like two people are falling in two schools of thought. Unprofessional, shouldn't have happened. Keep the score. You know, you don't need to put 13 past an opponent, or you play to win the game. You don't like us scoring. Don't let us get in the end zone. What What is your What's your default here? When you hear those two options and you hear the way that the commentary is being discussed, whether it's TSN, ESPN, Fox, SiriusXM, where do you lean? Yeah, I, uh, you know, being a University of Miami uh, alum myself, uh, I have to be in the school of thought that, you know, as you said, if you don't want us to score, keep us out of the end zone. Um I will say that I think even if you were to talk to those players, did they need to score 13? No, probably not. But it's the World Cup. It's not an international friendly. Uh, you know, it's it's they're not just playing to play. You know, they're they're trying to win the game, and especially when goal differential matters, especially when again it's the top 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 stage for the sport, 
it's really hard to go to a player and say, pull it back. And to do so, to me, would be a... Uh, a dis- do a disservice, be be a bit of an insult to to the Thai national team. Um, I understand, you know, Alex Morgan counting off the five goals and all that. Maybe a bit much, but at the same time, and again, I, I'm going to use the example we spoke about earlier. Let's go back to another moment in the Women's World Cup. Now, it wasn't the group stage, it was the final, it wasn't this year, it was 2015. Um, Carly Laurie scores a goal from midfield. Uh, the fourth goal, really the, 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 the coupe de grace of that Women's World Cup victory. Uh, the game was already pretty much done and dusted. You know, 4-0 is certainly not 13-0. But it was, it was pretty much in the bag. The only reason why that goal goes in is because the Japanese goalie tremendously misplayed the situation. <laughs> you know, you can't... Carly Lloyd isn't routinely teeing up shots from midfield and then go in. She's not taking the shot because it's generally foolish. But if the goalie is that far off her line and you think you got a shot at it, you take a crack and, and you see what happens. You know, you've written your name into the pages of World Cup history. But no one suggested like, oh man, the keeper, what a howler. You shouldn't celebrate too much. No one would do that. And so I, I don't feel, I'm, I'm not one who, if you're taunting your opponent... That's something entirely different. I'm not a big fan of that. I don't want anyone getting up in anyone's face or yelling at a bench or anything like that. But if you're going to celebrate with your teammates after accomplishing one of the great like achievements in World Cup history, scoring five goals or coming back from injury and, and reappearing and getting a goal out of that game, no, I'm not going to begrudge someone for celebrating. I'm, I'm just not. And it could have been 20 to nothing. It, to me, that's irrelevant. It is, it is the peak of competition in the sport. And when you succeed at the peak of competition in the sport, I think you should be entitled to celebrate. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. I, I kind of see both sides here in the situation. And I understand where some of the frustration is coming from, right? You know, you're looking at Alex Morgan scoring five goals. And you're looking at the celebration of goal after goal after the game has been put to bed. And you say to yourself, well, wait, wait a second. Like... I get now where people are saying, like, you've been here before. Why don't you kind of act like it a little bit? But those people don't understand this is the World Cup. This is the pinnacle of women's soccer. This is the pinnacle of all soccer. It doesn't matter regardless of what gender you are, right? It, it happens to be that they're split in this case. The men play a World Cup version of their own. The women play a World Cup version of their own. At the end of the day, this is the pinnacle, period. How do you not celebrate a goal in the, in you know, the most important tournament of your life? Whether it's your first, second, or your third. You know, and then a lot of people want to criticize Megan Rapino for what ended up being, if I'm not mistaken, the ninth goal of the match and the celebration. Okay, Megan Rapino hadn't scored in the match until that point. She had a bunch of services that went wide, went high of the net, crosses that were ineffective. And yeah, while she was effective and opening up and likely had an assist or two prior to, if I'm not mistaken, she did have one. Okay, and you know, she's entitled to celebrate there. She's entitled to get the goal. Do I feel bad for Thailand? Yes. But I think the, the problem that I'm having in this whole situation, more so than the celebrations, more so than the scoreline, is the fact that we've been in many a press box where people have criticized Joe Ellis for not having, for having deployment problems, for not utilizing her roster the way that theoretically it should be used. People have problems with Joe Ellis because she's not winning games by the scoreline that, you know, should be won by the number one mega power in women's soccer. 
She goes wins by 13-0. Everybody's criticizing. You won by too much. You left Alex Morgan in too long. This, that, and the other. I, I, I feel like the only argument that holds any weight in all of this is the fact that the United States is rather lucky that Thailand had, I want to say, the class and the discipline to not go in for a reckless challenge on somebody, on a superstar. Being down 13-0 and going in on a two-footed tackle and just trying to do some damage because... Yeah, I would understand. I would be frustrated. I would feel disrespected if I lost 13-0. Not by the celebration, but by the fact that I've let somebody put 13 past me. I play hockey recreationally. I've been in matches and games that have finished 7-0 against me. It sucks. I want to skate off the rink. I don't want to be on the bench anymore. But at the same time, you know, that's just a caveat of your team. You need to do better the next time you hit the field or the pitch or the rink in this case, in my case. Yeah, I, I, again, how hard would it be for Jill Ellis, who, as we have mentioned, one of the criticisms is is player management, to go to your players when they see the goal mouth as big as the ocean and say, yeah, don't put it in. Who, who, how is that going to work? How is that going to fly? Again, Megan Rapino scores 8-0. She hasn't gotten on the board yet. How hard is that as as a player with a mind for goal? I haven't how have I not been able to score yet? You don't want that kind of self-doubt creeping in. You don't want that kind of No, it's it's you're you it's very easy and it's cliche to say this. It's very easy after the fact to play Monday morning quarterback, yep. Monday morning coach. But I am not as a coach ever going to tell my players but, you know, unless, again, we're in a basketball situation yeah. and there's 20 seconds left and you can dribble out the... That, that's different. Right, right, right. That's right. totally different. But I'm not... If I'm if I'm a coach of a basketball team, I'm not telling my guys five minutes left, we're up by 25, to pull it back. No, I want to run the offense and sub out who I can, get rest for who I need, for, for who I feel needs to get rest, and play for the next day. Ellis used all her subs. Yeah. If there were more, she probably would have used more, but there weren't. And so... She's doing her best to create a team that is best suited to win the group, get into the knockout stage, and win the whole damn thing. Because that is the that's the level that the U.S. plays at. And so it's you can you can second guess and and consider maybe this sub or that sub would be better. But I don't see how it's in the best interest of this team winning the World Cup to not score as often as it can. I just I don't want my players having to. Oh, is this enough? Or the coach says, okay, this lead is big enough. Or what's good enough? Is something good enough? No, we should always be going for more and more. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a whole lot of sound and noise signifying nothing, honestly. I think it's a lot of people looking for something to debate and discuss. And we're in between two NBA, you know, uh, games. And, <laughs> you know, it's it's Wednesday in the world of soccer, in the world of sports, which is always a slow day. And so this is something to talk about, honestly. I I understand sportsmanship, but sport, sportsmanship at the pinnacle of sports, to me, is a little bit overrated. I, I don't want someone being a jerk to someone else. That's my line. Right. But in terms of sportsmanship affecting the result of a game, no thank you. No, play your game. I want – and if Jill Ellis did want her team to kick that ball around for 20 minutes because she thought that was in the best interest of the team – well, then so be it. Okay, that's the decision that the manager has made, and we can talk about that at the end of the tournament. But we can't talk about that now. We don't know what kind of effect that is going to have on the, on the team going forward. I know if I had a team, and they came into the World Cup, and they scored their 13 goals in the first match, 
I feel pretty good about my team going forward. I would too. And and I think a lot of people fail to realize that Jill Ellis, you know, if she makes the final and loses, it's considered a disappointment. It's yeah. considered a failure almost. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's a borderline failure. Yeah. And the problem is, is that the bar is set so damn high for her that anything short of another World Cup, a fourth World Cup for the United States, is might be looked at from the Federation as a failure and might cost her her damn job. Absolutely. Which is ridiculous because she's reaching a World Cup final. But that's what happens when you dominate a sport. It's like we talked about, whether it's basketball, whether it's hockey, whether it's any other sport, when a team becomes a perennial superpower and they win every year. If we're talking about the Yankees, okay, Yankees are making the World Series final. Anything short of a World Series final and winning it is a disappointment to George Steinbrenner. Go figure. Yeah. And yet what you're asking for and what you're demanding is so damn high and it's so damn hard. Even if they make it seem routine with a 13-0 victory, it does not mean that the match on Sunday against Chile is going to be easy. It does not mean that the match against Sweden, who I actually wonder, are they coached by Pia? Uh, or, or did question. she retire? I'm not that's, sure. But anyway, I'm on it. <laughs> but anyway, that team is decent. That team is pretty good. It's I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know the women's rankings off the top of my head. I would guess they're top ten in the world. You know, so you're asking them to go ahead and now navigate with a top ten opponent in their group. They're going to have to navigate through the knockout stages with no blemishes to then set up a final against what likely might be a, the same final 2015. The Japanese goalkeeper, right? Or was it? It was Japan or was it China? Please don't tell me it was China. It was Japan. It was was Japan, Japan. okay. And at the same time, not mess up anywhere. It's just, it's incredible because there is such a high level of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's such a high level of demand from Alex Morgan, from Megan Rapinoe, from Tobin Heath. And now that demand is switching onto the shoulders of Mallory Pugh, Sam Mewis, Kristen Press when she gets the minutes and, and she's underplayed. If anybody on that team is underplayed, it's Kristen Press. It just you, it just makes you wonder how these women don't crack because this level of pressure is not put on the men's team. It needs to be, and it's not. And it's sad that we're having this conversation short of a gold cup, which we should be covering here in just a matter of weeks. And yet we're talking about, well, you know, man, if Burhalter makes a semifinal, that might be good enough because the Confederations Cup is no longer in play. Because if the Confederations Cup was still in play, you won the last one, you win this one, guess what? You're in. You get a tournament in 2021. You get to have to have an actual tune-up for the World Cup in 2022 in Qatar. Luckily enough, they have a bailout where they don't need to win the Gold Cup, which they should, but they don't need to win it because there's nothing really on the line for it anymore other than just, you know, CONCACAF glory. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, might be all that they can really target for the next few years despite having the talent that they do. But that's a whole other discussion for a whole other day. Um, So, Women's World Cup, again, as we mentioned, uh, it's on Fox, Fox Sports 1. You know, if you you know where it is by now, come on, get in the game. Uh, (laughs) Next match for the U.S. is on Sunday. Correct. It is that match against Sweden, right? No, match against Chile. Oh, Chile, that's right. 39th-ranked Chile. Yes. Uh, And Pia Sundhagen left the uh, Swedish team in 2017. Okay. Currently managed uh, by Peter Gerhardsson. Um, I hope I'm saying that Never right. Never heard of it. <laughs> um, so, moving on. Let's bring things back a little bit more local, and let's talk about our our old favorite, our tried and true, uh, the NPSL, the Sunshine Conference. We're going to talk about Miami FC in a little bit, uh, but we want to focus on, uh, uh, to, to me at least, I think to both of us, a very interesting turn of events. Um, last weekend, Miami FC... Uh, uh, 
played against Central Florida uh, and, and earned themselves a nice win. Uh, Crosstown Rivals Miami United hosted conference. I'm sorry, uh, yeah, conference leaders um, Naples United. And as you recall from last year, if you know anything about the Sunshine Conference, Naples really surprised. They they kind of came out of nowhere. A lot of people were expecting Miami FC, Miami United, and Jacksonville to really run things. And Naples earned some points off those teams. But kind of thought of, again, coming into this season, the the, the also-ran, the isn't-that-cute story. Um, as we were broadcasting last Saturday night, the scores line starts coming in from North Miami Athletic Stadium, and lo and behold, Miami United give up a goal, then go down a man. They get one back, but Naples scores another. They win 2-1, and right now, Naples United hold in their hands their own destiny to win the Sunshine Conference. They have two games against Miami FC, the the home and away, that will be coming up starting this weekend. That'll be very interesting. But let's talk about Naples United for a second here. No, no, um, no more. No more Garcia Parra. <laughs> hey. Uh, hey, Omar, Naples United, uh, what do you think about this team? What, what do you think is their potential? Do you think they could really challenge Miami FC, Miami United, for the Sunshine Conference win? No. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say no, and I'm I'm biting my tongue as I say it because I pray to God that the gods aren't listening here, uh, and the jinx effect is in. And if they are, Britain, Achilles, I'm sorry, I'm telling you guys now. I apologize. I don't I don't think so. I think Naples United has been squeaking out games defensively, and last year they showed that defensively they've been pretty damn good. But I think this Miami FC team, and I say it all the time, I write it in the articles over and over again, the firepower is too big to ignore. The firepower is too hot to handle. The firepower is just too great. The attacking prowess is there. I, I just, I haven't been proven wrong yet, unfortunately, this season. Or fortunately for us, mm-hmm. I haven't been proven wrong yet. You have a team that scored 40 goals in seven games. One of the games they were held goalless, and guess who that was to? Miami United. <laughs> So that means in six games, they've scored 40 goals. Their worst showing was a 2-0 win in terms of goal differential. Every other match has been won by U.S. women national team margins. 10-1s, <laughs> 5-0s, 7-1s, 7-0s. It's ridiculous what this team is. This team has allowed three goals all year. Two of them in one game. One of them in our broadcast a couple weeks ago to Storm FC. I just... I. I have a hard time. We're waiting on the MPSL to get back to us to find out what is a modern era amount of goals scored in a in, in a division, in a conference. Uh, and I'm also trying to figure out who was the highest goal scorer. Because Miguel Gonzalez has been unreal. Yeah. Step above. It, it, it's reaching the heights of Poku levels in the NASL, the way he's dominating the MPSL. And please keep in mind that the NASL competition, yes, was much higher than the MPSL. I know. Please don't tweet at me. I get it. But this guy has been insane. I believe it's 11 goals in his last five games. Yep. It, it's just yeah. it's incredible. I just Listen, I want these games to be competitive. I'm tired of looking at matches where the score lines are 6-1, 6-0, you know, 5-0, things of the sort. Because they become hard to commentate. Like we mentioned on our last broadcast on Saturday, once the game becomes a route, it's hard to... The flow of conversation isn't as easy. You're not looking for a moment. You're not looking to provide excitement in a broadcast that might need one. It's just goal factory. Goal. Goal. Guess what? Oh, look. They scored again. And then how do you toe the line of being respectful to the opponent? Hint, hint. Last conversation we just had in your broadcast. And also giving the right amount of credence to what those goals deserve. 
that's the fine line that now we as broadcasters and I guess every broadcaster really walks when they're calling these games because it, it just it gets to the point where how does it not become mundane? And for Naples United, listen, I hope they come and they put in a serious effort. Do I want Miami FC to win? Absolutely. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm not rooting for them, that I don't want an extended run through the playoffs again. No, because I'd be lying to you. I want an extended run through the playoffs. We have a pro-Miami bias. That is our official editorial stance. Yeah. We always want Miami teams to do well. No, no shame in admitting that. But I want to see a 3-1 game. I want to see a 3-2 game. Right? I don't want the result to ever be in question because I don't want to be freaking out and then having to think about who needs to lose over <laughs> in the Lone Star Conference. Hint, hint, Fort Worth and Midland. Right, I don't <laughs> want to look at these standings anymore. I just want to know, all right, we do our business. We get into a final with the Cosmos and then they host it. Fine, whatever. We'll go to New York. <laughs> screw it. But do I have faith that Naples is going to be able to handle this team? I don't. I don't have it. I would say... The thing that intrigues me about a potential, well, not a potential, but a real Miami FC uh, Naples matchup, and what what will happen in the return match uh, to Naples for Miami United? Uh, Naples' strength is defense. Uh, Naples has played five games, given up three goals. Miami FC has played seven games, given up three goals. Miami FC that that goals against line. I think, is a little bit friendly to them. I think the defense has been a little bit shaky throughout the season. I mean a little bit, not a lot of it. But if you're looking at a weakness on this team, I think the back line has struggled to gel. The midfield and attack, obviously, proof's in the pudding. You can see that, that they've gelled just fine. And if it's a boat race... And, you know, it's, 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 it, you're, it, it's offense versus offense. Miami FC is going to win that. Time and time and time again. I'm curious what's going to happen when Naples United defense meets Miami FC offense. I think that's going to be really interesting to see. And if Miami FC gets an early goal, it could be done and dusted quite early. You know, Naples United could be the example. Let's go back to the Central Florida Panthers game from Saturday. Central Florida Panthers gave up that early goal and put in a really good 40-50 minute shift. And then... The dam burst, and then it was over. <laughs> Miguel Gonzalez had a factor in the yes. game. Yes, <laughs> yeah. That's what happened. He came off the bench. That's what it was. Yes, no, absolutely. Um, so, will is Naples United doing the season version of that? Are they going through a good chunk of the season with really good showing and results, and then are they going to crack? How long can their fitness stay up? How long can their quality stay up? Against because they're again, Naples has one more game against Miami United and two games against Miami FC, and so Naples has has had the more favorable section of their schedule. Miami FC, on the other hand, don't play themselves and have played both their games against Miami United. So, is Naples really on that level, or have they benefited a little bit from schedule? That, to me, is the biggest question. I would love to see Miami FC sweat. And, you know, when they go out, they put in the effort, and they're physically sweating. I mean mentally. I mean psychologically. They're going to have to sweat a little bit to get a result from Naples United. I would love to see that. I don't know if that's going to be the case. I think if if I got to choose one, is it going to be a blowout or a loss? I'm choosing blowout Miami FC. <laughs> that would be the thing that I think is most likely to happen. But I also would have told you I think Naples coming across the state – 
to play at Miami United, I would not have foreseen a 2-1 victory. No, I wouldn't have either. Yeah. But I almost wonder if that was Miami United's worst showing. Because we, none of us were, unfortunately, we didn't deploy our schedules well enough to send somebody to that match. Because we all decided, oh, hey, Miami FC is back. All right, let's all, let's all go to Barry University and just set up camp. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we never actually sent anybody to that match. So we don't have a way to know, because the game wasn't broadcasted, what they look like. It could have just been that abomination of a game. That, you know, very, very possibly Miami FC had when they went to that stadium at the start of the season. Or in yeah. the second game of the season. And it could very well be the same game that Miami United played the first match of the season against Miami FC and lost 2-0. So it just makes you wonder. But I'm looking at Naples United's schedule. And as you mentioned, you alluded to, I think the reason they're 5-0-0 going into the sixth game of the match is because they've played Central Florida twice, haven't given up a goal. They've played Jacksonville once, given up a goal. They've played Storm once, given up a goal, and only one by one. That's that's the kicker. And then you get the you get the great result away at Miami United. I don't think any. I, I think the problem is that the dead giveaway for their projections is that two one win over Storm FC. Because I, I while I don't want to vocalize this because I feel bad in saying it and I want everybody to understand. If you're still listening at this point, I feel bad in saying this. Storm FC is bad. They're bad. They're, they're, they're in in the realm of the Sunshine Conference. They are not good. Yes, they they are not to the level of the other teams in the conference. I'm I think not that's very fair. I'm not saying they're I'm very a better nice people. Yes, I'm not saying I'm a better soccer player than them because they'll run me off the pitch individually yes. and as a collective. But they're not as good as everybody else in the conference. Yes, and that's been shown. Yeah, and to only beat them by a goal is a problem. That's a problem for me because you can't sit here and say, okay, yeah, you came across, you came across state, you know, and you play the Central Broward and you're on the road or whatever. Naples does not have any kind of offensive power, you know, firepower. But in the first 10 minutes of the Central Florida match, I said, and I wrote it in the preview of that match, Miami FC's problem, as you just said in your last, you know, talking soliloquy, <laughs> right, was their backline's the issue. Every year of Miami FC's existence, with the exception of 2017, the backline has been the problem. The backline has always been the problem. The backline has been the reason why they're not in the they're not currently in the Open Cup. The better reason why they didn't get past Miami United in the 2018 Open Cup. They're, the backline is the reason why in the 2016 Open Cup they fizzled out and they, why they were a mid-table team in the first year of the NASL. That's the problem. The backline has always been an issue historically for this team. It's not an easy solution to fix. You've overhauled the backline completely. Mason Trafford, gone. Rhett Bernstein, gone. Tyler Pollock, gone. Sal McFarlane, gone. Tyler Ruthman, gone. Who's the replacement? Sean Chin. Okay, he was here last year. He's playing sparing minutes, and he's actually playing central defensive midfield. Baggio came back first game, knee injury. Brenton Griffiths, Jalen Markey, John Neeskins in the middle. Okay, we haven't seen any of them been stellar. I'm not going to, I'm sorry, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. They haven't been great. They've been good. They've been serviceable. They've done what they needed to do, but they've never taken anybody's breath away. Marco Franco left back, pretty damn good as of, re, as of late. I've also been very in a right back. play, especially getting, really right. playing as like a true wing back, getting yeah. up the field. He, he's been very impressive. But again, as you mentioned with the back line, the idea with the back line, it's it's not a one and one and one and one situation. <clears throat> no, You've it's, a, look it's at a unit. All the pieces together. I think more than any other part of the field, You've got to look at the back line as a single unit. And as a single unit, it's been a, it's been a, a touch off. Again, especially compared with the other sections of the field 
where the attacking play and the midfield play generally has been pretty damn good. The back line is still a little bit janky, I think is the way I would put it. Mark Pace has done a great job, I feel. But the, the, the back four defenders have sometimes been uh, a, a little bit off. But there's a blueprint to beating this team. And Miami United posted the blueprint. And then Central Florida couldn't get it to work because the talent level wasn't there. What do you do? You heave aerial balls from the back. Diagonal runs into your wingers. And then you get the wingers to beat the fullbacks of Miami FC. Why? Marco Franco's not the fastest guy. Otello Ball now slipping in at left back. And Lloyd Sam filling in at right back. They've got decent pace. And Lloyd Sam's what? In his mid-30s? Yeah. He still has decent pace. So now that that option that you had, that blueprint is going to be tested because, first of all, Sam Lloyd is not a right back by trade. First of all, let's not make any mention of it. He's an attacking player, right? So the fact that he's slotting in at right back is outstanding. Marco Franco, his pace could be a liability against a team like Miami United if it comes down to the Sunshine Conference final. Because who's going to stop Juan Montano from running down the flanks again and getting past the back line? Because you know that's what Miami United is going to do. You know they're just going to sit there and be like, where is he? Where's the winger? Hang on a second. Pull! Let me send it long. Let me send it over the top of everybody's head and work him into space. Because it's worked. That was the blueprint. Central Florida just didn't have the talent to get that done. But they could have scored one. They, they, they potentially could have scored twice. They got unlucky a couple times, but that the chances were there. So it, does Naples have the talent or the potential of getting those balls in deep behind the Miami FC backline, And can they play those diagonal aerial balls into space? That's the key to the match. Because if they can, the game will be close. If they can't, you'll just see it on the scoreline. See, this is why I think that Naples has uh, uh, more than a puncher's chance. I wouldn't say anywhere close to 50%, but 75-25. So Andy Ruiz. What's that? Andy Ruiz. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, I think that if you are a team with strong defensive fundamentals, an organized back line, you can then try to deploy any strategy you want. You know, if you're solid at the back, I mean, it's, again, kind of another sports cliche. If you've got the defense settled, you can now spend more time working on anything else that you want. I don't see any reason why Naples couldn't try to deploy that kind of strategy against Miami FC, they're less likely to screw up and give up an early goal, an easy goal. If Miami FC are going to score, it's going to be because they're going to work for it. And they can work for it. Lord knows. They will work for it. Right. But I I think that I could see Naples frustrating Miami FC. I, I, I could certainly see that. I would not be surprised if Miami United get a result or three points on the return leg back to Naples because beating a team twice when you're at... A comparative level is hard. Right. Um, but I, I, if I'm Miami FC, I'm, I'm very leery of giving up points, as you mentioned, not just because you're focused on the Sunshine Conference, but you're focused on the South region, and you're focused on the national playoffs, and you're trying to host as many games as you can. And so there are all these other things that need to be kept up in the air if you're Miami FC. You know, you drop those three points to Miami United to start the season, and now that, that kind of is leering over the back of your head, you're, you know, living in the back of your mind. Right. Um, you know, Naples did Miami FC a favor by taking Miami United down a peg. There's a clear first, second, and third now. Yep. But now Miami FC has to make the most of it and, and get a win. And yeah. get two wins. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, Miami FC, for all intents and purposes, needs to run the table. You've got two matches against 
Um, yeah, two matches against Naples United. Those will be matches eight and nine. And you have one more match left against Jacksonville Armada uh, the first week in the July. I believe it's July 6th, right after the 4th of July holiday. And then you'll immediately start Sunshine Conference playoff play. So I think the bigger key, you know, while, while these three teams are jockeying for position and really, you know, at this point right now, you, God, I hate to try to jinx it again, but you know who the, you, you kind of know who is going to be the betting odds favorite and you don't know who's going to come in second. Right, so when you're filling out that exacta box, it might not pay you a whole lot of money, but you're gonna fill it in Miami FC, Miami United, and you know Naples United, right? Because you're gonna hit it in there. If you're gonna fill out the trifecta box, great. You know what I mean? You know you're gonna pump those three teams in there. You're not gonna make any money back on your bet, but you're gonna have them in there. The bigger question really just becomes who gets that fourth and final playoff spot. I mean, it's a six-team division. Four teams get into the playoffs. You're looking at the table setting now. Armada have won two matches, so they've got six points. Central Florida has one win. Uh, they've played also one more game than the Armada. Uh, and then Storm FC hasn't done a whole lot of nothing um, with a total of zero points rounding at the bottom of the table. So it's going to be who ends up that four spot. Is it going to be Jacksonville that Miami FC likely have to play, which is, you know, maybe not the team that you want to play, but the team that you've had a good showing against, or Central Florida, a team now that you beat twice by a combined score of 12 goals. Yeah, it's it's uh, there, there's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of intrigue here. What, what is going to be the top position? Who's going to wind up coming in second? Who's going to get that fourth spot? You know, I, I think, again, uh, you would bet Miami FC win uh, the conference. Yeah. You would bet Miami United, despite this one loss, come back, take second. Yeah. And you would bet Jacksonville get fourth. But there is – it's still up in the air. And that's what I think makes this conference uh, so interesting this year is you, you have had a little bit of – separation where I think last year we were expecting more separation and And there wasn't and there wasn't I think this year you're finally seeing that separation but it 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 leads us to have two really interesting races the race for first and the race for fourth um you know kind of borrowing from the premier league in that sense you know (laughs) where you've kind of got two title races going on but MPSL Always intriguing. Again, as you mentioned, Omar, we've got one eye here, one eye on the rest of the country as different conferences are playing. And overall point per game total uh, is what ultimately decides hosts and uh, uh, visitors for the national playoffs. So interesting uh, couple of things. Let's uh, transition away from uh, NPSL and let's talk about USL. Uh, South Florida has its USL2 entrant uh, in FC Miami City. Omar, you had a chance to get out to Tropical Park the other day and see uh, the citizens on display. Uh, what did you see and what do you think for their uh, their competition this year? Uh, I think it's been pretty impressive because you need to keep in mind that this has been a complete roster and staff overhaul for FC Miami City. Coaching staff from last year, out. Players from last year, the Kevin Kofix, the Marvin Hatzeltz, the, um, oh man, I'm blanking on the keeper's name. Drew's going to be mad. Hugo <laughs> Ferro. Yes. He's, they're all gone. They've all moved on either to other clubs or looking for other opportunities. And now you have a, a, a mix of college kids, early 20s, late teens, trying to, you know, keep on this, 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 what, what, what has been a really decent entrant into the U, former PDL, now USL League 2. Uh, a team that normally is in the race for a playoff position. Last year finished mid-table, not a very impressive showing. Starting the year with 3-2-1, and one, you know, you'd kind of want one of those losses to be a win, but you, you kind of look at the way that the table's shaking out, 
And you got four teams tied at the top with 10 points through five or six games played. You know, it's going to be basically here, if I'm not mistaken, a 12-game season uh, for each of these clubs with a home and away fixture. Miami FC still has, if I'm not mistaken, about five more home matches to play. I believe they play tonight, actually, at 6.30. We're recording right now at about 3 p.m. So the Norway-France Women's World Cup game has just kicked off on our television. Um, it just, you know, they need to be good. They need to be better because they won an Open Cup spot. The Villages and Lakeland were the ones who got the Open Cup spots last year out of this conference. This year, I believe it works a little bit differently in the USL League 2 playoffs because the only the top team will make it out into the playoffs where the, the best second place team from the Southern Division or the Southern Conference will get the best second place team from the Southern Conference will get that final playoff spot, which I don't believe was the situation before, but it is now moving forward. Yeah, you know, you look at that um, that table, uh, the Southeast Division table, and as you said, four teams on 10 points, but Florida Elite and the Villages uh, both have a game in hand. So you're looking at those two programs and figuring that uh, they have a little bit of an advantage. You know, gold differential is the tiebreaker, uh, but, you know, you'd rather be Florida Elite or the Villages than even Tritons, who are, you know, technically... Uh, uh, the top of the table at the moment. It, it sucks to be tied for points in and fourth. Um, if you're FC Miami <laughs> City, that's a real bummer. But uh, yeah, you know, after really a disappointing season last year. Yeah. Last year was a season that a lot of people had lined up as as FC Miami City could be contesting for for titles in the PDL, you know, regional and and national. Um, to to really put out a, a kind of a stinker of a season. That was really disappointing. This season, as you mentioned. You know, basically the the approach of management there was to tear it out to the studs. You know, basically rip everything out. Yep. And so far, it's it's borne some fruit. Uh, you know, you look at um, FC Miami City, and and they're tied for you know they're they're in a position to compete for that Southeast Division title or for that 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 top second finisher. Yeah. Um, but both are alive mm-hmm. for them. Uh, you know, again, if you look at the rest of the South, there are a couple of teams with a few more points, but there, there's still a, a lot of soccer to play. Um, I, th- I think, honestly, for City, when you're looking at it from a USL League 2 standpoint, is that those games come fast and they come in a hurry. You know yes. what I mean? The, 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 the fixture clog is insane where you're playing twice a week. Some weeks you're playing three times a week. You're not just playing 12 matches over the course of 12 weeks. They get these. They get the season in fast. Ooh, I lost my voice there. They get the season in fast, man. And even tonight, if you look at tonight's schedule for USL League 2, you got the Tritons playing Florida Lee. Two, the two teams at the top of the table per goal differential will be facing off each, against each other. The Villages take on Sarasota Metropolis, who I have a sneaky feeling are the old IMG Bradenton, and they've just been rebranded, so it's not the school anymore. I would not be surprised. And FC Miami City is going to be on the road to Weston, right up the road in Central Broward. So now you've got essentially... Four, the top four teams are all playing tonight. The top four teams are all vying for positioning, jockeying for there. And for FC Miami City, you know what you really want here is you need the Villages to lose to Sarasota, which likely does not happen. And you need the Tritons and Florida Elite to come out to a draw because Weston is the worst team in this conference or in this division. They've played six matches, much like Storm FC. They haven't recorded a point. Uh, so they need to capitalize on playing this game over at Central. I believe they're playing at Broward College South over in Pembroke Pines. And, you know, much like uh, Storm FC, um, Weston are basically a developmental program with a competitive adult 
uh, team attached yep. as a means of continuing that development. So that that's always something to keep in the back of the mind whenever we talk about Storm. You know, they are they are a subsidiary of the Miami Soccer Academy. They do a great job of developing players. Uh, and part of that development is making sure that the, the older players that come through the system have a, a means to continue to play as well. Um, so yeah, sometimes you're not going to get the best results because you're not really looking to sign players or you know you're you're, you're using your own uh, academy products. Um, so yeah, that'll be interesting to see the the, the progression of uh, USL League Two and see if FC Miami City can can manage the right results there. You know, again, get get the draw that you want, get the win that you want. Um, but yeah, there's still still a lot of soccer left to play. Uh, one more thing I did want to bring up. Well, two things I want to bring up. We'll, we'll discuss the second one in a second. You have time for two? I think so. Right? <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll keep it snappy because the first one will be really short. But uh, very interesting surprise uh, coming out of Spain this week. Uh, earlier this week, um, uh, we had been talking about for months now the fact that. Uh, Miami was uh, going to have a bit of a club-friendly drought this year, the first time since 2014 uh, that there wouldn't have been a major international club-friendly at Hard Rock Stadium. Um, but surprise, uh, you know, it's you know, a, a, a butterfly flaps its wings somewhere else and somewhere other place in the world. There's a hurricane. Uh, the the Super Cup, the the uh, Spanish Super Cup gets moved to January, FC Barcelona now all of a sudden have two weeks without really anything to do. They decide to come on over to the old, good old U.S. and they come back to their most reliable fan base <laughs> in Miami. And so you have uh, a friendly that will likely take place on August 7th at Hard Rock Stadium against Napoli. Um, Napoli will be the a competition at a game here in Miami and a game in Michigan at Michigan Stadium in Ann Arbor. Um Again, really came out of nowhere. Doesn't appear to be organized by relevant sports. Obviously, not part of the International Champions Cup. Uh, Omar, what was your reaction when you got that news? Has has that been confirmed though that relevant is not intertwined with this? I believe it was just organized by the club because of the situation with the scheduling. Okay, I could be wrong. That's why I said it appears. I I, okay. I do. I'm. Choosing my words carefully there because if Charlie Stilitano pops up and he's all of a sudden at the center, <laughs> hey, you know, who knows? But considering what relevant had said about right. Miami that basically right. they wanted to take a year off and and kind of let let the market breathe this goes against that state admission now right. if a public relations person lies to the public I've never heard of such a thing before <laughs> who could even imagine um, but yeah it, it 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 does appear on the face of it that this is just a friendly organized by the club uh, just like any number of friendlies that uh, English um, English European clubs uh, schedule throughout the off season okay because it really smells like relevant right it smells like relevant would have their hands mixed in on this being that they are very keen on getting the european superpowers over to the states and relevant said that we're skipping miami because we've we don't want to you know drown miami with matches we don't want to keep that venue fresh we want to make sure that when matches come they're exciting and i'm sure that they were disappointed with the women's icc you know uh attendance last year but it wasn't really marketed so you know that that's on them more than anybody else but when you look at this match it's to me it's funny and the first reason why I say it's funny is because Barcelona was involved with not wanting to play a domestic La Liga game outside of the country. They yes. want to bring. They didn't want to bring that game to Miami against, I believe it was Girona, right? Well, no, they they wanted it. 
the the Spanish Federation didn't want. Well, I believe the players came the on. The players and said, we did don't, not want. Yeah, it. the yes, players didn't true. want it either. Right? The club wanted right. it. They were gonna they were gonna put out a lot of money to make it happen. But right. the, the, no one else wanted it. Basically. So here's what we're doing though. We're not gonna play. We're not gonna play a domestic league game. But we're gonna take the Spanish Super Cup. That's now been expanded to four teams, right? And it includes, if I'm not mistaken, Valencia, yep. because they're the Copa del Rey winners, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, and, oh, Real Madrid. And we're going to play this in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So we're going to play a cup tournament, that a domestic cup tournament. Not, 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 you know, and, and we're taking it out of the continent because Saudi Arabia is technically in Asia, according to FIFA. Mm-hmm. So we're going to move a cup competition to Saudi Arabia. I don't. So I don't understand though. Is that a level of hypocrisy there that we're not playing league games outside of the country? But if it's a cup competition, that's fine. Because in that case, move the whole damn Copa del Rey to the United States. Fuck it. I mean, why not? I mean, shit. You're gonna sell them out anyway. You might as well. Yeah, I, I, I guess the the counter argument there would be that the Super Cups are basically glorified friendlies anyway. Um, but I mean, I've always been of the opinion that if it's if, it's it's competition you qualify for. It, right. It's it it you know it's it's certainly not the same as winning the Copa del Rey or winning the league, but it's something. Uh, and and you know the Spanish Federation has cho- chosen to use that as a, a bit of a, a a marketing ploy. But yeah, it's yeah move, move instead of moving Barcelona Girona to Miami, move the Super Cup here. Well, wait, that's w- the thing. Done. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right, because you're gonna sell it out anyway. Yes. You're gonna sell out every Barcelona game. It doesn't matter what. The truth is, is though. What, 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 I guess, don't get me wrong. I love that there's a friendly coming to town because that gives us more coverage. It gives us more abilities to interact with the game, even on a national level. You know what I mean? But I think what's frustrating, though, is you don't want to play the league match here. That's fine. But then how do you take a domestic cup competition and then move it to another country? Because if UEFA was going to sit there and say, we're playing the Champions League final in New York. Do you think the Spanish FA would have a problem with it? Because I figured that they would. They wait, 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 wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Why are we not playing it somewhere, you know, closer? Why are we not playing it somewhere in Europe? That's not to say that Baku was not was a distance say. trip, right? I'm not saying Azerbaijan is not the fringes of Europe. But what I'm saying at the same time is there's been a lot of talk about placing a Champions League final, Europa League final in New York City. And every time that that conversation is brought up, it's met with like, no, you can't move it out of Europe. So why can you move a domestic cup competition out of Europe but not a UEFA tournament, you know, final out of Europe? It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't add up. It doesn't add up because move the damn game to Miami then. Why are we giving it to Saudi Arabia? Why are we giving it to Saudi Arabia? Where, where, what market does Saudi Arabia have for these four teams to place the game in Saudi Arabia? If you were moving it to Qatar, that's one thing because you're allowing the country to tune up and build towards the World Cup. I get that. If you're moving the games to, that, to Dubai... I get that as well. Massive metropolis, huge tourist destination zone for all of Europe. I get it. But so is Miami. And it's actually closer when in flight times, I believe, than Qatar or Dubai. And, and, and you know, not necessarily closer Miami to Saudi Arabia flight time. But New York City and Saudi Arabia, I'm assuming, are, are probably in close proximity. It only takes five hours to get from New York City to Spain. So it just makes you wonder, man. Yeah, it's it's clear that... And rightfully so, the Spanish clubs see an opportunity in Miami and they want to seize it. But there are other factors at play that are prohibiting them from doing that. So we are stuck in this middle ground with these friendlies. And I th- I don't think relevant were wrong to think that, okay, maybe we are kind of tiring the market out a little bit. Um, but it's, 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 it's a logical step for Barcelona to put anything they can 
here because one, it does them the benefit of generating revenue, and two, it gives them a foothold where Real now doesn't. You know, and and that's it. Spain is always it's two names. There are always two names in constant competition with one another, and I think Barcelona want to build that relationship. And yeah, there are going to be uh, you know hurdles trying that they're going to want to clear, but. I would definitely not be surprised in the next few years if the Spanish Super Cup winds up in Miami at all. From your lips to God's ears. Yeah, right? <laughs> that, that would be fun. It'd be very fun. Um, we're we're going to... What is it when, you, when you're when you reading a comic book? This is unrelated, but when you're reading a comic book and you look at Deadpool and he breaks something because he's in a... The fourth wall? Breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> I feel like we're breaking the fourth wall because we're watching this France-Norway game on Matt's TV here and I feel like I've been like literally portaled back to the 2018 Women's ICC because the only face I don't see is Heidelberg. But everybody else from Olympic <laughs> Lyon is on this damn pitch. And I'm like, wait a second, I know these faces, I know these names, I've seen them before. It's true that the, the <laughs> French national team is basically just Olympic Lyonnais right. with a few additional sprinkles here and there. But uh, they were actually talking about that preseason that you know uh, Lyon had won you know, five Champions Leagues in a row, I believe, or yeah, four. Right. Um, they are, I mean, such a dominant force in Europe. Um, watching the game grow in Europe has been really interesting from the women's perspective, obviously. But the fact that the, the club teams are, are now really getting the attention they deserve, um, it's kind of fascinating. I know we're kind of jaunting back to the Women's World Cup again, but it's, you know, we're literally watching it uh, as, as it happens. As you, we speak, If literally. you want to sync up the podcast, we are at 1530 right now in the first yeah. half. Uh, so, you know, if it's like a, like a dark side of the moon situation. Yeah. Um, but I will say this. Um, it's just, it's, it's funny to me because do you think Olympic Lyon win games 13 now? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised domestically. Um, okay. Last point. Inter-Miami? Yes. All right. Last but not least, Inter-Miami. There's Let's do it. so very much to discuss, but we're just going to, we're going to keep it, uh, uh, simple. Stadium. Oh. It's going to happen. That's a hard topic for simple. In Broward. It's going <laughs> to happen in Broward. I, I think this is the first time... In the history of our podcast, the first time really since 2014 that we can very confidently say there will be a major league soccer team playing in South Florida, most likely next season. But Orlando there will be. Orlando played here last year. What's that? Orlando played here last yeah, year. Yeah, that's true. Atlanta was here before. Uh, a, a, a South Florida based team. Uh, Lockhart Stadium has been demolished, the lot has been cleared in about a month and a little bit less than a half. Um, Jorge Mas still very confident that stadium is going to be completed by mid-February. They'll do some, a couple dry run games there, um, most likely not including Inter-Miami, eventually coming back after the season starts. Um, on the Miami front for Inter-Miami, um, Mel Reese has, uh, you know, those interested in the success of Mel Reese have had a couple of victories. Um, Charlie DeLuca appeared with Jorge Mas. Um, basically announcing that the first tee would be moved to another location uh, in Miami-Dade County, uh, which was obviously the big hurdle for DeLuca and who Willie Gort, Commissioner Willie Gort of the city of Miami, had stated on the record the reason why he was in opposition was because of first tee, one of, but the big one. He had, he had specifically stated that. Um, we have a proposal for a lease. That proposal meets pretty much everything that Jorge Mas had promised to the city commission back in July of 2018. Um, so, Omar, again, you, you never like to get too comfortable with this team and with this story because when you do, <laughs> the rug gets pulled out from under you and you uh. fall for, you know, 12 stories. But 
I think this is happening. I mean, so I was always saying, if you go back into the archives of the podcast, I said, I'll believe it when I get the season ticket holder deposit flyer in the mail. <laughs> season ticket holder deposits are out. Yeah. I don't know if I believe it, though. I, I just I feel like I've got ingrained skepticism mm. about this whole thing, and I don't want to be that person, but nothing in this track record has shown me otherwise. And I'm listen, I'm not going to be the guy who's like, all right, man, when they kick off in March of 2020, like, I'm in. You know what I mean? That's not yeah. the case. But at the same time... You know, there's just, I just feel like there's still so many hurdles to jump through. And I'm not even just talking about Maurice. You know, you're talking about building an entire stadium here in the course of eight months. Whether it's modular, whether it's pop-up construction, you know, whatever terminology you want to use, that's fine. We're talking about eight months. You have eight months to build the stadium, build the parking facilities, build, I, I would guess, training pitches on the outside. I think that is phase two. That phase two? I think okay. phase one is get the damn stadium up. <laughs> And get everything you need to get MLS games played. I think all that other stuff will come around after that stadium is completed. So you know what would be... In that case, okay, fine. I could I could see it kind of happening. Because I'm assuming they're going to be working 18-hour days, seven days a week yeah. to get that going anyway. Which, in but, fairness, they have been in right. order to get that stadium well, yeah, down to get, so to get it down, right. Yeah. But the problem is down is easier than up. Yes. Demo's the easiest part. Yeah. Um, but I, I think... What's going to be funny about this and what I think would be really awesome for the club to do and something that's not normally done in the soccer world is open practices. Rotate them throughout the city. Rotate them throughout the, throughout the area. Because if you don't have a home for your training facility, that's fine. Put, train a few times at Central Broward Stadium. Train a few times over at Flamingo Park. Train a few times at Tropical Park. Train a few times at Amelia Earhart. Let the entire community come together. And support this club, whether you're Dade, Broward, hell. You know what? Train at Sugar, uh, uh, Sugar Sand Park in, in Boca Raton, too. Why not? Mm. Right? Train in any of the public places that you're able to do so. Basically, establish a link with the diff- the Tri-County area. And then you're going to build a fan base. Because if they can get up and close and personal with the Stars. And I don't know, I don't mean, you know what I mean? That you're going to have to make every guy sign a thousand autographs every practice mm. session. No. But let them be visible. Let them be within an arm's length of these kids and of you know the, the, these young kids that have a dream. And I think you're going to be off to a great, great start. You know, it's funny you mentioned training uh, because there was a story that came out of Broward uh, just yesterday uh, that Inter-Miami had put forth a kind of last-minute proposal um, for the usage of Central Broward Regional Park. Uh, we've yet to hear back from the club about what reason they would have for requesting it. But again, to put to... Uh, put on a reckless, reckless speculation hat. Um, reckless speculation. <laughs> um, we had talked to Jorge Mas about where this club was going to train between now and March 2020, and he basically said, "We're going to have to find space. <laughs> We're going to have to find a local park. We're going to have to find somewhere that has those kinds of facilities." And Central Broward certainly fits the bill. Uh, now, ultimately, again, also to delve, delve a little bit into reckless speculation. Um, Central Broward Regional Park, the Broward Commissioners went with the U.S. Champion Soccer Academy, which is aligned with PSG, which makes you wonder about FC Miami City and whether they might be involved there in looking at Broward next year, either for moving the team to Broward or as kind of an additional uh, side to field in some other competition. But 
all these things get intertwined, man. All these things get tied up oh, within. Yeah, all, you know, it's a it's it's a small world after all. This is this is a two lane highway, and all these clubs are passing each other constantly. Yes, this highway of soccer, route soccer, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. It's just a highway, man, and all these clubs are zooming by each other all the time, and yet none of them lowers their window and says hello to the other. <laughs> hey, um, buddy. Yeah, so, I mean, we reached out to FC Miami City for comment uh, about possibly moving the club over to Central Barrett Stadium. We have not heard back either. So, you know, I don't think they're going to go. I think that this is mainly their academy side, their, um, you know, the youth development, uh, youth camps, youth clinics, things like that, that will be moving over to Central Broward. And it's a much better facility than a lot of the other places here in Dade County. I'm going to be honest and say it. Uh, it is natural grass where some of the others are turf mainly. So I, I don't blame them, especially if the opportunity presented itself at a, at a, at a discounted rate of what they're paying now. You know, I heard a guy you know say that a lot of the parks in Dade County look like cow, cow pastures. I don't oh, know you heard? I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did you? How did the commission take it? Not, not so great. Not so great. Um, so, Inter Miami. You know, there there's a lot to talk about, but honestly, a lot of it is is still speculation. We know the club is looking at designated players. We've talked about that before. They're targeting the end of summer for an announcement on that front. We know they've targeted a manager with international name recognition. Uh, expecting that in the fall. But again, we're still kind of punching in the shadows a little bit. The only thing we know for sure is that the Youth Academy apparatus is up and running. Uh, and that has been a big focus of their uh, community outreach and of their social media is, is getting the kids involved, which I think is that's a big win. That's something you, you want to see from this team. Because yeah. yes, the designated players are going to be the the spark that grabs interest at first, but ultimately that's not going to work if you got three big name players who don't win much right you've got to develop through your youth academies atlanta united provided that model paul mcdonough um you know uh sporting director for inter miami came from atlanta he's obviously going to try to recreate that magic here in miami um but yeah i mean we're still in a very speculative phase but it does feel like again without trying to jinx it that we we are closer to this happening than ever before uh, there is a tangible place to call home that the relevant municipal government has agreed to put a stadium in that place. Uh, now, will it come back to Miami in two years or three years or more? We don't know. We still got to sort all that out. But but things are happening. It does appear like there's positive movement, which for most of the time that we've been talking about this team, there has not been positive movement. So I'm at least intrigued by that. Um, Omar, anything else to add? I think we've covered all our bases here. I think today. we've co- covered all our bases. To our podcast listeners, we're sorry for kind of leaving you out in the lurch there for multiple <laughs> weeks at a time. We're busy, man. We're busy. If you guys don't know, we've got a broadcasting partnership and agreement with Miami FC. Our everybody's favorite Welshman Lee Ethans is uh, taking the lead on UPSL broadcast. He'll be broadcasting the UPSL playoffs over the next couple weeks uh, from Tropical Park and beyond. Um, so it's just super important, man. Just keep following us on all of our platforms. You're the reason why we are here. You're the reason why we've grown to the levels we've grown to. You're the reasons why we've been given the opportunities to do these things, and we can't say thank you enough. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say if you're interested in hearing us talk about soccer, uh, check out any of our uh, broadcasts of Miami FC or other local teams on MyKuju. There's lots of us talking um, available online. It's just not in the normal place. Um, you know, a little bit more searching may be required, but it, it's been really exciting to actually get out to the fields and, 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 and work with local clubs in order to bring more soccer to the fans who are interested in, in it. And, um, 
yeah, so we, you know, the podcast is not going away or anything like that. It's just it's it's been a busy couple of weeks. We told you, you know, back in April, like you know, keep keep an eye out for exciting things happening. Well, this is what we're talking about. Um, so uh, we'll we'll be back in a little bit. Um, hopefully with Lee and Drew and everyone else. Uh, but again, we need to get them to quit their day jobs first, I think, in order yeah. to get this kind of <laughs> this kind of time uh on the podcast so let's wrap it up uh if you don't already do so please follow us on twitter at magic city soccer on facebook page is called magic city soccer on instagram the instagram is hot popping uh credit to lee for that at magic city sock soc uh there Uh, a lot of good stuff on the instagram again credit to lee there um online where you can read our stories and all kinds of good stuff magic city dot soccer Omar, where can we find you on Twitter? Mubayad11. And you can find me on Twitter at Matthew S. Bunch. I think that's all the relevant uh, pumping and promotion. Uh, be sure to check out um, next weekend. Uh, we will be on the call. Uh, Miami FC hosting uh, Naples United. We just were talking oh, about the game earlier. Now that I remember, giveaway. We're going to give a giveaway here in minute one. Ten. Oh, what is it? Wait, we're in one hour, ten minutes, and now 24 seconds of this podcast. If you send us a message on Twitter, or I should say, if you tweet at us and you use the code, what's what code should we use? Oh, I don't know. Use the code GOAL, G-O-A-L. Tweet at us the code word GOAL. You will be entered in a contest to win free tickets, a pair of free tickets to Miami FC versus Naples United on June 22nd. So there's a giveaway. Code promo word GOAL, G-O-A-L. Tweet us that. And you'll be put into a drawing to win a pair of free tickets to Miami FC versus Naples United. Already one of the best deals in entertainment in South Florida at the price point, but nothing beats free. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, be sure to reach out to us on uh, Twitter or I guess if you want to uh, comment on this post on Facebook or I don't know. I, I'm, I'm admittedly bad at Instagram. Do you slide into those DMs if you want to? Whoa. Uh, whoa. <laughs> not whoa. that way. Wrong pot. Or, or <laughs> yeah, add, uh, add the comment underneath the, uh, the post for the podcast with the word goal uh, and be entered into two free uh, two free tickets. Uh, all right. Let's wrap this up. Omar, thank you very much, pal. I appreciate your living room. Uh, you are welcome. Uh, for Omar Mubayed, I'm Matthew Bunch. As always, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, uh, go Miami FC, go Miami United, and FC Miami City, and all the teams in, in, in Miami-Dade County, and go Miami soccer. But some more than others.